Welcome back to Are You Wearing Pants? where we check in via Zoom on personalities in the advertising and media world to find out how they're coping professionally and personally during the pandemic and the harsh long-term lockdowns we're all experiencing. As we record this podcast, much of New South Wales and Victoria are still in hard lockdown after many months. And news of Australia's tough lockdown rules are making headlines around the world. So how are we all coping working from home? How are we managing balancing family and work life? And how's our mental health doing? In this final episode of Are You Wearing Pants, which focuses on people from the ad and media world's experiences of the lockdown, we talk to Paul McDermott of the Doug Anthony All-Stars and Good News Week fame. Paul's extensive music and comedy tour of Australia got shut down completely earlier this year. So in response, he teamed up with musical director Glenn Morehouse to write and record a new EP of lockdown songs using Zoom and a MacBook computer to produce this eclectic selection of lockdown-inspired songs. Recording in progress. Hello. 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 Hey, Paul. How are you? Do we get to see you? Oh, can't you see me at the moment? No. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Good start there. Are we there yet? No. No, we still can't see you. There he is. I've got my technical staff here. This is Glenn. Hey, hey Glenn. Hey, how are you? Responsible for the music. Good. Yeah. Good, man. Yeah, cool. It's really good stuff. I was listening to it just now. Oh, great. Yeah. So first question, uh, are you wearing pants, mate? <laughs> I am at the moment, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> you look like you're in a recording studio there. Is that yours or where Where are you? We're in a rehearsal studio. This is all Glenn's space. It's where he has an office upstairs. Right. And in the office upstairs is where we recorded the little EP. Mm-hmm. There's drummers in today for the first time in what would be what, eight weeks, nine weeks? So where are you? Are you in Victoria? Uh, we're in New South Wales in Alexandria. Oh, okay. All right. So you're basically just down the road. Yeah. <laughs> but All because right. of current COVID restrictions, yeah. we can't actually interview each other in the same room. So fun and games. Yeah, yeah we're over in Surrey Hills. Oh, very nice. Yes. And you, you two live together, obviously. <laughs> I'm <laughs> uh, pretty much joined at the hip. <laughs> We're in our own little bubble here. We're actually at Smith & Wesson Studios here in Redfern and Nick and I are both uh, double vaxxed and it was just too hard to try and run a busy sound recording studio uh, remotely. We tried it last lockdown and it, he's got two younger kids Mine mine are a bit older, but it just makes it very difficult. So part of this podcast series, what we're trying to sort of cover off is how everyone in our world and the uh, media world is sort of coping with this and how do we make it work. Uh, We've managed to make it work by basically coming in. I was reading the stuff that Prinny sent through. um, So you basically recorded everything for this new EP during the lockdown, did you? Yeah, everything, yeah. And and many of the songs, uh, Mm. I think three three out of the four were probably written during this this period as well. Mm -hmm. And all courtesy of Glenn, uh, who had the space and suggested it at the start of lockdown, just said... um, because all our touring was immediately curtailed. We lost North Queensland. Were you touring as a music thing? What yeah, yeah, uh, music comedy, yeah. So, um, yeah, we'd done, uh, we'd done the Adelaide Fringe. That was the first uh, live stuff we'd sort of done. Had a couple of little shows here in Sydney just to see if it, it would work and then played the Adelaide Fringe and thought we are on a good thing. Yeah. And it was, uh, the show was working. It was all, everything was cooking. Managed to do a few shows in Melbourne during the Comedy Festival and came back to Sydney and did a few shows here as part of the Sydney Comedy Festival. And then everything just got lost. Everything went to shit then, didn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. So I think our last audiences that we played in Sydney 
had masks on for the duration of the show, yeah. which we'd managed to avoid in, in Adelaide. They were living in some sort of um, anti-COVID paradise at the time. They, they honestly <laughs> believed that they'd triumphed over the, over the bug. Well, and- weren't we all for a while? You know, Australia for a few months, we were thinking we were the COVID gods and, um, yeah, it all went, went wrong from there. Yeah, it's, it's certainly gone belly up and, and the slowness of, the, of getting the vaccination out, the misinformation that's been spewing out of various corners by various politicians, which I find pretty despicable seeing it's, it's, it's almost like a sabotaging your own ship, wanting the damn thing to go down. So, yeah. Um, and the idiocy that's been displayed with what they've been terming the freedom rallies is is just a, a sort of trickle down Trumpism in Australia, isn't it? it which is equally offensive. And and to think now that they've just had rallies in New York with people waving banners saying, you know, free Australia. I free know. Australia. <laughs> What's going on there? They've just been, the misinformation <laughs> has just spilled into their world. I mean, what sort of amount of idiocy is going on there? Yeah, it brings out the best and the worst in people, doesn't it, this, this pandemic? I had a friend uh, reach out to me who I haven't probably spoken to in 20 years. He's on my Facebook and uh, out of the blue, he texted me and he just said, Dan, is what I hear going on in Australia, is that true? I'm like, what the fuck has he heard? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like armies are coming in and smashing people up. I don't know what he'd heard. But anyway, so you have a family? Yes. And how how are they going? So you've all been working from home? Yes. Well, Melissa uh, works from home generally, and I work from home generally myself. But uh, Xavier normally would be heading off to school, but he's been with us. How old is he? He's 14. Right. I think it's been very, very difficult on, on the younger people this period, but we've been we've been quite fortunate. We get along well as a family unit and there's comfort in all being together. In fact, it's been really quite beautiful. And I've, I've spoken to many people involved in the arts and many of us are pretty uh, solitary creatures anyway. A lot of the work we do is, is by ourselves and um, we're quite used to not being in uh, more formal structures of employment where you go to an office each day and you have water cooler conversations or whatever people do in offices. And even that reference I realise is probably from the 1980s and well out of date, <laughs> um, but have never really sought or needed that companionship of the office space. But really, the, the lockdown was quite different, for, I think, for many creatives or people that I knew, either visual artists or, you know, or singers. Um. I mean, you have quite a few different hats, I would say, as, you know, a comedian and a musician, but you're also a TV presenter. So, you know, the, the sides that probably are suffering most are the musicians out of that list. Um, they can't really go out and perform. We know a lot of musos who are stuck, unable to earn a living from their normal gigging that they'll do two or often three gigs a night running around doing things. So do you know people in that world? Oh, certainly, yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people in that world. And, and ourselves included, mm. that, um, you know, it, it all went belly up. That's not an exaggeration. Belly up is the term, the white exposed <laughs> belly of, of the industry. Uh, everything closed down pretty quick. And there hasn't been a lot of support from the government really after JobKeep. I thought JobKeep was a good idea for people who are stuck, not a good idea for big business, though it benefited big business, I think, a lot more than you know individual and small businesses. But at least f- for me, it, it worked quite well with JobKeeper, but it's just been pretty harrowing by comparison. So it started off well, made a bit of money. We're on the road for, what, almost a month and a half, yeah. and then it all just stopped. So since then, it's been really, it's been... It must be taking quite a mental toll on people as well, like in, in the music and the arts industry, just having to go through not only the first lockdown, but thinking you're coming back from it and then going back into what was a very, very extended lockdown. I mean, this has now been going for around four months. Do you feel there's been a big mental toll on, on everyone in the industry? Uh, yeah, I would say I would say certainly. I mean, my, I'm, I'm fortunate in some regard because uh, – 
you know, misery, sorrow, and um, and sadness are areas I like to mine for comedy. Yeah, that's great, and and music. <laughs> yeah, and so dipping into that has been has been a font of creative energy has come from it. In fact, we have you know now dozens and dozens of songs dealing dealing with COVID and, and this period of time, just because it has been so uh, inflicted such emotional and, and mental fatigue damage on on people, and I I try and see the um, the weird or humorous side of that, and so when the world was plunged into essentially abject misery uh, virtually overnight. It was a joyous period of fecund creativity. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One part of the industry which we probably don't really think about is something probably close to your heart where you started and and also Nick is busking. What's happened to all the buskers? You started off as a busker. Nick used to be a busker as well. And um, yeah, it's an interesting world out there being a busker. um, I heard you talking on one of my favourite podcasts um, ever, the Richard Herring podcast. And you were talking about your early days as a busker, I think, in Canberra, was it? Yeah, Petrie, Petrie Plaza in Canberra. Um, and that's where I started with the All-Stars. And it's still something I love. And apparently there's an article in The Guardian uh, today which was saying that a lot of regional centres in Australia, because they'll still be under lockdown conditions, are finding it really hard to get audiences inside. It, it makes it financially unviable for them to open their venues. But they, they said they have these forecourts and there aren't the same restrictions over the forecourts. And I was having a talk about getting us, certainly, to look at touring throughout regional Australia and just doing gigs in forecourts. And I think there must be a lot of other uh, performers, especially musicians, who would just love that, mm-hmm. to, to be outside and to have an audience outside. So, you know, it goes back to that busking tradition to get, just to get out in front of people and do music, sing songs. So you're going to uh, open up the guitar case and hope some uh, change gets thrown in or is that not allowed anymore? Is it cash? <laughs> you can put almost anything in a guitar case from a bicycle to a handbag to a small child. <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, something I learned back in the early days. So if you take their children, people tend to hang around longer as well. So It's a great place to hone your skills, isn't it, busking? Um, I did that around Sydney for about five years and it was just great. I mean, really good to get um, you know around a crowd and, and just hone your skills and get, get into it and build your confidence up. I'm sure that was a great start for you to kick off into your career as well. Oh, totally. And I love the aspect of busking that unless you've done it, you don't really know that it's all ages, it's all different people from all different walks of life, from wealthy people to, uh, you know, very impoverished people, from from sozzles and drunks to well-to-do passers-by. They all have something else to do. They're all going somewhere. Um, if they've gone into the city and so on, they're, they're there for a purpose. And to be able to stop them for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour is quite phenomenal. It certainly does help you in, and help me tremendously in dealing with people in clubs and you know, other venues that we played afterwards. Yeah, I would recommend it to anyone. And, uh, you know, if you are at home struggling, not knowing what to do, take the guitar out on the street and just have a bash. Now, Paul, you probably won't remember, but you and I have worked together once, Uh and this ties it in with a lot of our listeners from the advertising world. You presented the award awards for the advertising industry. I don't know whether you've done it several times, but on one year I was on the committee to run the awards, and myself and uh, Russell Smythe got you in to do the presenting, and it was up at Ramwick. Do you remember that? I, I remember there was there was a lot of cocaine in the toilets. <laughs> there was just uh, there was just shoes and boots. You'd go in there and you'd look under the stall 
wall and there'd just be some of the fanciest goddamn shoes I've ever seen in my life yeah. and just a lot of fellas having a good old slap and pat on the back. There's a, and There's a highly charged energy at those events, isn't there? So your um, connection with the advertising world would have been probably doing mm-hmm. those sort of things quite often back in the day when you were on Good News Week at the time, probably. Mm. One thing I recall around that time was uh, the following year after you presented, we got Sean McAuliffe in. And during a break, he pulled me aside and said, no one's fucking listening to me. What's the point of me doing this? Do you remember anybody listening to you or even paying attention? No, I realised early on in the night that I wasn't the main focus of attention, that, <laughs> that the fourth stall in the men's toilets was probably of more interest to everyone. It, it was always funny afterwards. There'll always be some kind people coming up and going, oh, man, you did really well. <laughs> We got, I uh, spoke to Craig Rucastle last week and he's presented them a few times. I remember one year he and another bloke from The Chaser, they basically said, guys, this is your awards. We don't care about them. We don't care who wins. We're just going to carry on. If you don't want to listen, that's fine. You can all go to the toilets. <laughs> I think I had that line as well. Yeah. But one of the things that... Uh, with corporate is that it really is about the people in the room. It's what they want to do. And if they want to have a free-for-all that night and, and not um, pay tribute to their fellows or the other people that are winning awards, then mm. the choice they make. And it doesn't matter if they're plumbers or uh, aviation uh, people or advertising people. And that's a point that I would have made on that night, I'm sure, that these are the people you work with, um, you know, try and show them some respect we can't all win the prize. There's only one, you know, one prize. Ten of you will be nominated. Only one of one person's going to get them. And that just means that they're better than you at this particular <laughs> point in time, you know. Yeah. At some point in the time, time in the future, you may be better than them. But tonight, nine out of ten of you are not going to have the night you want. Well, some of those nights the, the awards <laughs> well, do go on, for, you know, a bit too long sometimes. And I know Nick and I have been at them. We've got one nomination in there. It's halfway through. You didn't win it. What do you do after that? You've got another, you know, hour and a half of nonsense that you don't really care about, so you're off to the toilets normally. But yeah, um... open, a, open a fresh baggie. <laughs> so, Glenn, let's bring you in on this. Um, so you, uh, you instigated this new project with Paul, did you? Yeah. Uh, obviously, as Paul said, we, we'd sort of met last year, 2020, and formed a friendship and, and realised that we loved creating together. And, and performing together. Um, and it was just born out of the fact that, you know, all this, we had this brand new show that we were just getting out in front of people and getting so excited about. And within 48 hours, bam, gone, everything gone, all the touring gone. And um, it, all, it all started over a Zoom call, just not unlike this one, yeah. where we were trying to be creative. And, you know, like trying to be creative over a Zoom call is quite hard it's because you need that personal interaction and um but we did okay <laughs> um and we actually came up with the opening track off the ep no singing no dancing that was the our first zoom conversation first day of the lockdown and and with that first song the, we did that zoom meeting i think it was on a monday and we had a bit of a chat and we both i think felt a little bit, un- a bit uncomfortable with the process but i was thinking oh it's the first stab at it so it'll probably get easier over time. But then by Tuesday afternoon, Glenn sent through a fully realised bed for the song and it's just like, well, this is insane. You know, let's get together and put some vocals on it. So so that was it. But it was, uh, it was great hearing that, that track come through and, and thinking that, you know, from this really awkward Zoom conversation and meeting, you know, we suddenly had something to 
to get our teeth into. Exactly, the, the, and I'm pretty sure there's lots of projects around the world that have been sparked like that. We, along with doing audio post and podcasting, we also compose music mainly for ads. And we've been working with people all around the country remotely and they, you know, fly their vocals or their string parts or whatever it is. And people have had to up their own, I guess, IT skills to be able to make that happen and get the right gear and work out how to record themselves, including voiceover people. You know, they've all had to step up and find a way of making some money whilst they can't go out and, and earn it normally. Well, no, I, I certainly think there's, you know, people have acquired new skills I stopped acquiring skills back in 93, I think. <laughs> yeah, the thing with music and, and song and performance, it's very it's a very human, communicable thing and having people in a room. Have you, have you tried a performance for people over Zoom? Have you tried that? We did, uh, we did a listening party on, uh, on Friday night, yeah. a Facebook listening party. That worked really well. It, it was just pretty silly. We didn't really know what we were doing. We threw a couple of things together. We listened to the songs and then in between we did a, a few chats. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, it, w- it was great. But at the same time, it's like doing radio at 6 o'clock in the morning in regional Australia. You really don't know if anyone's listening apart from a couple of garbage truck drivers. <laughs> you have this idea that there's someone out there listening to it but there may not be, you know. So um, it, it's a bit like that. It's it's performing for the void, looking into the abyss and just hoping that someone on the other side of that dark, you know, circular lens that's actually watching and, and caring about what you're doing. You guys may have come across a, a well-known uh, session guitarist in Sydney called Peter Northcote. Do you know Peter Northcote? Yeah, I know Pete. Okay, so um, Pete's a very innov- innovative uh, musician and he's <clears throat> been upping the home performance to a point now. He's using a live streaming service called Twitch. Basically, he just does live, like he'll do a live show and they've now... He's, I think he said he had 15,000 people on his last one. He's got 15,000 people logging in to watch him perform at home <laughs> in his studio, and it, it looks pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool. Um, and he's got up to 15,000 people, and, you know, they, they donate money. And so he's actually, you know, cranking. He's probably earning similar money, if not more doing it from home now. Yeah, absolutely he is. Because I know that he jumped on that live thing as soon as we hit the first lockdown in 2020, yeah. Because, you know, I was chatting to some of the people that were going on playing with him yeah. when he was doing the band things. And, like, you know, they, they were amazed. that they, they were earning a wage. Yeah, yeah so good. You know, they, they were like, this is great. Fantastic, <laughs> so, yeah. There's no, you know, no smelly rooms. <laughs> and it's like that jam at home, right? So they've, they've literally got, like, their mates in a room and they're just jamming and having fun. And yeah. same time there's 15,000 people watching and they're watching the the cash come in it's pretty cool and they're not wearing pants there you go that's it (laughs) hey I'm just switching it up so it looks like we're opening up hopefully um, Monday will be the time we can go out and have a schnitzel and a beer and you know hopefully get out there um, have you got plans to get out and do the live show? Are you looking forward to getting back out there? Um, and what do you think is going to happen? Do you think um, we will be able to open up to proper live shows with venues full or are we going to be having, you know, people with masks when you're doing your jokes and you're not going to be able to see them smile? Or What are your thoughts on that? Uh, from the logistical sense, the notion of getting back out and touring straight away is terrifying mm-hmm. because, A, the money you've got to put up front to get these things happening and the chance of something getting shut down so quickly is really hard. Yeah. And also it's that it's that sense of, you know, how soon do you go back out on the road? Because if for exactly that reason, like if everyone's masked, it is really hard, especially doing the comedy show, um, but it's hard for anyone to not be able to see that reaction or gauge that reaction from the stage. Uh, so it's, it's going to be fraught with danger, I'd say, for the next 
however long, six months or so, could could well be a year or more, you know. Mm. Um, but look, our first shows now, we're penciled in, or we're not penciled in, but we've rescheduled to February 3rd is our first live show, mm. um, which is give, with the idea was that we thought we didn't want to sort of reschedule to November and then have to just reschedule or blow it out again. So we thought we'll give ourselves time. And because we're busy sort of uh, still recording because there's more to come, the, the idea there is that we're looking to early next year and fingers crossed, you know, vaccination, everyone's, you know, gets on the vaccination train and, and we do the right things and hopefully by then, we may be back at sort of looking at full capacity, um, which you need to, to earn a living. So in 2017, when you were on this podcast talking to Richard Herring, you were doing a kind of revival of the Doug Anthony All-Stars. Is that a finished thing now or will, will that come back? Will you ever do that again? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's it's finished, yeah. Uh, it was it was great for a while, but... Um, but you know, old old cracks started to show, and uh, and weird things happened, and it ended sort of uh, quite poorly, which is very sad. Um, but uh, I'm I'm happy with uh, where I am, what I'm doing now, and and certainly I thought uh, once the All Star started up, because it was such a it was such a weird thing to happen in my life. I never actually thought I would uh, be doing that again, and, and I love doing it, and and really enjoyed it on stage, and uh, was having a great time. But yeah, it went it went sour pretty quick. So. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it'll be. It'll be happening. Your first success was in the UK, was it? Uh, first success was with the the All Stars and in at the Adelaide Fringe. Right. You know, we'd done quite well in Canberra, busking in Canberra. Did a couple of shows. Had a little um, nightclubby sort of place that we ran um, for a while, and and of course busking every Saturday in Canberra. Um, and then we went to the Adelaide Fringe Festival. That just kicked off in a big way. Word of mouth spread and uh, we didn't have much in the way of uh, advertising or promotion but just went out and busked every day, busked uh, and got our audience that way, just had flyers in the guitar case and distributed them and we had, you know, 500-plus people in a room by the end of the week and that rolled for for the four weeks we were there and then we were chatting to some other people who were familiar with festivals and someone went, oh, you're going to Edinburgh? And we went, what's in Edinburgh? And they said, oh, the biggest the biggest fringe festival in the world, mate. It's like, oh, really? And we thought, oh, well, <laughs> we'll go and do that. We went over to Edinburgh and that that was fantastic because when we arrived, we we didn't even have a venue. Is that like 1987, something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah 87. Right. We, didn't have a, we didn't have a venue until the last week. We only had one week at the end of a four-week run and our plan was just to, to go out and busk and make enough money to pay for rent and to eat. Because they just didn't factor in that there's a thousand to two thousand other buskers trying to milk every Scotsman <laughs> of their coin as well. So that was that was maybe a bit of a flaw in the logic. <laughs> we managed to get a, a flat. Some other people had vacated. They they pulled out of the festival in that first week. So we managed to get a a place to stay. The first night we were there, we arrived early in the morning in Edinburgh. We put out the guitar case. We said we don't have a place to stay. Three people put phone numbers into our guitar case. Um, so it was an incredible experience. Um, and the first week, a group dropped out of doing shows at the Pleasance at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. So we went slotted in there. And the first day, we had the sound crew and the, the lighting people, basically just the staff. By the end of the week, we'd, we were selling that out. Um, the next week, we didn't have a show. But on that Sunday night, uh, another group pulled out at 3 o'clock. So we went and did their we did their slot at three o'clock and the first the first day once again was um, lighting and sound 
And by the end of the week, we had that that room filled. So it just it was just an incredible experience, quite an adventure. And um, so by the by the last week of the festival, when we had our week long run, we sold it out every night. Yeah, it was just it was a it was an incredibly um, adventurous and uh, and sounds like very successful as well. So how many times did you go back and do the Edinburgh Festival? It would be close to eight. I wow! Think. Um, and it just kept it kept growing. But from that first one. The first time we were seen there, that's what led us to go on to do Friday Night Live with Ben Elton. So that was the first year we got that invitation. So we went from, you know, doing these little shows to suddenly being on this Friday night blockbuster of a show. And we were told that on that night, you went out to something like 42 million people. The next day, they, you know, the next week they played again. So you, you, you're going out to something 90, 90 million people or something over the course of a couple of days. And so when we went back to, you know, we were in London by that stage, and, and I, re- I remember weirdly after after the show went to air, we were just walking around Soho because we were staying around Soho and suddenly this, you know, there was a dispatch rider on a motorcycle rode up onto the pavement right next to us, pulled off his helmet and just went, saw you fellas on the telly last night. You yeah, fucking brilliant. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was a weird experience to suddenly be walking through London and get, um, get crazy recognition from being on Friday Night Live. So now the EP, what's it called again? I've seen the future and you're not in it. Why is it called that? I liked it as an expression <laughs> and uh, was something I've been sitting on for a while, but also I, I've... I felt like it did relate in many ways to the COVID experience. Well, I was going to say, Prenny suggested you guys might want to actually perform over the Zoom. Did you want to do that? Yeah, well, this is this was one, one a track that may be on one of the other records and it does come out of the, one of the other EPs. Fantastic. All right. Well, look, we'll we'll throw it to you to, uh, to do a song. So uh, if you can just introduce what you're going to do. Well, because of this show, you know, you're wearing pants and quite frankly, uh, I haven't been wearing tight pants for a long time. Um, <laughs> the elasticated waistband suddenly becomes a beautiful, thing. <laughs> I suppose it's uh, more appropriate for me. I've gone barefoot for about two years because there's been no need to, to, to cover them up in any way. I've, I've let myself go. And this song was about that process, I suppose, of letting go. And at the same time, I was I was becoming um, a wreck of a human being, uh, drinking myself into oblivion um, and wearing uh, sweatpants, um, wearing socks and sandals. And this is the song that emerged from, uh, from that first lockdown. Fantastic. Great. Let's have a listen. I'm wearing socks and sandals now as comfort is an overwhelming need. And grey sweatpants with Kate Dunstein, stains which shall remain a mystery. I've given up on everyone and everyone has given up on me. But man, I hung in like that 80s kitten, but I'm tired of hanging on that tree branch, feeling like I miss my only chance. I rarely leave the house these days. I do not fit polite society. And all the hip baristas laugh when I order boiling pots of tea. I've given up on everything and everything has given up on me. But man, I hung in like that 80s kitten, but I'm tired of hanging on that tree branch. Feeling like I miss my only chance, caught in this terrible slow avalanche. So you can hang on, hang on, and be the kid on. 
Start ugly living, give up on slimming. Clothes must be loose now, loosened, ill-fitting. Embrace the disgrace, or you can hang on, hang on, hang on, and be the kid of. Or buy shit from Kmart, go Costco and food carts. Live like a king when you sign up for new stock. Embrace the disgrace. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, be the kid on. Kick back and relax, slip on the jizzlax. I hear that softcore is making a comeback. Embrace the disgrace, embrace the disgrace. I'm wearing socks and sandals now as comfort is an overwhelming need. Oh, fellas. <laughs> awesome, guys. I think a lot, of people, a lot of people can relate to that. That's no, fantastic. <laughs> it's very, very fitting to probably end our podcast series with that song. Uh, guys, thanks very much. It's, yeah, uh, that's great. It's brilliant. Um, I wish you all the success with, uh, with the EP and... Hopefully we can uh, get out and see you guys performing it all. Um, well, you said February, so uh, between now and then, who knows? But uh, obviously, let's get people out to come and see you guys uh, perform that and other songs. Definitely. I'll be getting tickets after seeing that performance. That's oh, awesome. Thank you very much, Ed. Oh, it's a lovely thing. Excellent, guys. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to talk to us on Are You Wearing Pants? Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Cool, guys. See you. See you later. Thanks, Thanks so much. Bye. 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 That was our last episode in this lockdown series. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with a new series of Are You Wearing Pants soon. 